Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is the Roy Green Show podcast. There was so much nonstop dislike expressed for Donald Trump by the left-wing MSM mainstream media in the United States, which in turn is constantly fed bits of anti-Trump information by left-wing appointees and employees in Washington that they never run out of opportunity to spew their, well, their French cuff anger at the president. Hollywood anger is classic. Here's director Rob Reiner on MSNBC the other morning. The words that have been flung out from his mouth to right. the, to the, are insane. If, if, if he was not a celebrity, mm-hmm. if Donald Trump was not a celebrity, right. the words that come out of his mouth would you'd see a guy in a park, a lunatic in a park on a soapbox, and you'd walk right by him. Rob Reiner, also known as Meathead, and here's Chuck Todd of NBC's Meet the Press speaking with reporter Andrea Mitchell. Chuck Todd, of course, is the NBC News political director, the moderator of Meet the Press, and host of MSNBC's MTP Daily. Hey, Chuck. Uh, This, I mean, it's really bizarre to be over here watching it from this perspective. You're hearing people throughout Europe, all of these leaders when they come to Washington over during the course of this past week as well, saying, what is going on in Washington? And you've got Secretary Tillerson and Secretary Mattis is, is at Downing Street today, all trying to explain the, what the policy is, but it's countermanded by a tweet. Well, that's right. And look, and you have a president right now that I think is, it's beyond saying it's in crisis mode. It's you know, it's on the brink. The question is, on the brink of what? Is it on the brink of collapse? Is it on the brink of becoming a, a, a temporarily lame duck presidency? And maybe it feels lame duckish temporarily right now. You've got a stalled agenda. Republicans who have no fear of this president right now, um, they don't think there's a political penalty to buck him. Obviously, the Russia cloud darkens all the time. And all of it. Andrea, of course, all of these problems right now that they are dealing with front and center are self-inflicted by one person, the president of the United States, who couldn't help himself with a tweet on, on this wiretapping nonsense, which, of course, has essentially helped unravel 10 days uh, of, of all things Russia in their uh, in, in their part of this story, then throw in the fact that he's decided to drive a wedge in his own party and go after the Freedom Caucus. Okay, but he's also attacking Democrats at the same time. He's got to go find a governing dance partner, and he's alienating both of his potential dance partners on that front. So on the normal political scale, he's got problems. Throw in the fact that they, you've got a president who cannot accept the fact that Russia interfered in this election. And until he accepts that fact, this story is going to consume him. And my fear, and Andrea, the question to you is this. The world must be panicked that if this president is tested right now, if Western alliances are tested by a Putin in, in the Baltics, by North Korea, is the, is the United States prepared to lead in a crisis right now for the world? 
And it becomes so hard for Tillerson, who's going to go to Moscow in, in next month, in a couple of weeks, and the president <clears throat> has now been invited by Putin for a meeting in Finland. How does he behave with Vladimir Putin with this huge thundercloud over his head, over everything that he said in the past about Putin, embracing Putin before and you know since since the election, as well as uh, this and on 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 it goes with uh, Chuck Todd and uh, Andrea Mitchell from NBC. Chuck Todd. We have a presidency right now that is, I think, beyond saying it's in crisis mode. It's, you know, it's it's on the brink. The question is, on the brink of what? Is it on the brink of collapse? Is it on the brink of being a temporary lame duck presidency? Maybe it feels lame duckish temporarily right now. So I don't know how much they pay Chuck Todd, but I'm guessing they probably pay him something in the neighborhood of millions of dollars a year. And he, if he, all he can come up with is you have a presidency right now that I think is beyond saying it's in crisis mode. It's, you know, it's on the brink. The question is on the brink of what? Is, the, is it on the brink of collapse? What is he talking about? Fran Coombs is the managing editor of Rasmussen Reports, Rasmussen Polling in the United States. He's uh, regular with us, certainly walked us through the primaries and the election, and uh, we're very grateful. Well, um, Fran, I... I I listen to uh, to Mr. Todd. I, I listen to Andrea Mitchell. I listen to Rob Reiner, and I, I think they really uh, need to take a very serious chill pill. Well, I mean, what you have to remember with Chuck Todd and Andrea Mitchell. I mean, these are the same people that were telling us six weeks before Election Day, uh, or even less before Election Day in this country, that there was no point to even having an election because Hillary Clinton was so overwhelmingly the favorite uh, that. For Trump to even be running as president was a joke. I mean, if you put together a clip reel of Chuck Todd's pronouncements for the last 18 months, I mean, everybody in the audience would be laughing out loud. Um, unfortunately for NBC, I mean, God knows what drives their decisions. But, you know, Chuck Todd's been sounding like a Democratic operative for years, basically. That's why I'm surprised he's gotten as far as he has. What is the uh, the president's job approval numbers now? What are you seeing in Rasmussen? What are Americans telling you? Oh, well, well, there's no question those numbers are going down. And it's, I mean, there's a combination of things going on. At the beginning of the presidency, at the beginning of the year, voters are always more optimistic. Uh, certainly there's been a lot of, certainly economic optimism since Trump got elected. But those numbers are going down, and there's no question uh, that the media is effectively creating a cloud over the Trump presidency. Now, whether the Trump presidency is continuing to be effective or not is subject to argument. I mean, obviously, Trump is continuing to crack out these executive orders. He's undoing uh, he's undoing Obama's agenda. Uh, the people that he's putting in place are stopping Obama's regulations and all the various departments. So there's things definitely happening. Uh, the Obamacare thing was a political debacle. I wouldn't argue that at all. Uh, but... I would say two months into Donald Trump's presidency, it's probably a little too soon to say that it's at the brink of collapse. Uh, the Democrats and the uh, Trump haters all over a supposed connection between Trump's election campaign staff and Putin's Russia. I don't know what the truth of all of this is, but certainly nobody has any proof. No one's been able to lay something on the table and say, here, here it is. And yet they're running around um, with suggesting that there's proof, essentially uh, condemning 
the entire campaign or many people in the campaign for having colluded with the Russians. Well, they're just saying it. I mean, particularly the Democrats on on Capitol Hill, they're just saying flat out. And there's absolutely no proof. Uh, There's not a single uh, smoking gun. There's not a single document. There's not a single wiretap recording. In fact, the only thing that's come out, Roy, as you know, which is very embarrassing, embarrassing, is that it, essentially it shows that the Obama administration basically went into an anti-Trump mode after he was elected and started wiretapping his people. I mean, we can, we're going to find out whether that was inadvertent, whether they picked it up on wiretaps with people with foreigners that they were wiretapping, but very questionable wiretapping. Uh, unmasking the names of the people, unprecedented and illegal, uh, floating that stuff out to, to favored media friends like the New York Times, uh, very, very shaky and probably very illegal stuff. Uh, do you have the feeling, Fran, that are you a little disappointed? Because I'm a little disappointed in, in the way the White House has responded to to these accusations. There's no proof. And yet they find themselves on the back foot. They're defensive all the time. When I, uh, maybe you have a different perception of it, but to me they appear defensive. And when I look at Donald Trump, the Donald Trump before the election, before the campaigning ever began, there's a guy who if you, if you attacked him, and we saw, of course, we saw some of that in the primaries, but if you attacked him, he was right back at you. This seems to be less effective in the way of responding to the accusations. Right. Well, I think, I think that, first of all, I think you have to give a Democrat. Democrats are very skilled politicians. They have done an outstanding job of basically dragging out the confirmation process so that Trump couldn't get his people in there. So you had a lot of lame duck holdovers from the Obama crowd who were still running things, still having access uh, access to, to the inner secrets, if you will. So they did a good job of that. Uh, as we know, the, the Democrats are very much in sync with the major media in this country. Uh, so there's been a consistent anti-Trump media message, this message that, oh, he's incompetent, oh, he's a hater, oh, you know, the way, uh, the way his, his temporary freeze to uh, get our vetting process, you know, that immediately became a Muslim ban, uh, as if, you know, he was banning uh, Muslims from all over the world from entering the United States. Um, there's been countless uh, misreportings, if you will, everything from whether, you know, he took out the, the King bust in the Oval Office. I mean, you know, just all these crazy yeah. things that have come out. Yeah. And there's no question that that has created uh, a very toxic toxic atmosphere. And I mean, you have to give the Democrats credit for that. They have they've poisoned the air around Donald Trump. You know, they, uh, they've made a case of Donald Trump playing golf. Well, I remember his predecessor being out on the golf course quite regularly. And when that was brought up, it was always, oh, well, the president needs that as a balance to the tremendous amount of work and the emotional stresses of being the president of the United States. With Donald Trump, it's the guy's back out on the golf course again. Well, it says it's his golf course, so he's probably not charging it to the, to the American people. Yeah, well, it's, again, I mean, you, you, but you see this time and again. I mean, you see things that, things that these conservatives do or these Republicans do uh, for the New York Times and and that crowd, it's like the end of the earth. And when Obama was doing, I mean, obviously we did not see any scrutiny of the Obama presidency at all, basically, by the major media. I mean, you know that. I mean, look at all these. Of course. I mean, they've been trying to give Obamacare a pass. Well, what are the the transcripts from Columbia University, Russ? We've been waiting for nine years, nobody knows. Right. And then, and, but I mean, but it's, so it's everything from that to just all his failed policies. I mean, we're still in Afghanistan. Um, you know, people that he's let go from Guantanamo have gotten back in the terror game. Um, obviously, the world is a mess 
uh, because of the lack of U.S. leadership over the last eight years. We all know that story, Syria and elsewhere. Right. Um, but again, you know, you didn't see that kind of coverage in the media because yeah. Obama was, a, and, and we see that in our polling. Yeah. Uh, you know, people say overwhelmingly in our polls the media was trying to help Obama's agenda, and only like 10% think the media is trying to help Trump's agenda. Right. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. If you rip into Donald Trump, if you're in media and you rip into Donald Trump, or if you're in government, or if you're in any sort of public sphere, then then you're fine. Then you're fine. Then you you find your allies. And I've seen them on television, on a TV screen in the middle of the evening, and I they drive me wild because it's some like it's it's like a mass therapy session for them to just try to outdo each other, ripping into the president of the United States. There's nothing positive that comes out of it. It's just constant tear, tear, tear. They lost the election. Don't forget that small point. And uh, at Paul B. Now tweets, under POTUS Obama, Russians hacked election, and yet at real Donald Trump is at fault. Is that logical? Provides his own answer. Says, no, it isn't. Fran Coombs, managing editor of Rasmussen Polling, RasmussenReports.com online. Fran, what's going to happen going forward? With Somebody said there's about 1,400 days left. Is there going to be 1,400 days like the preceding 72? Well, I mean, obviously the opposition is going to try to do, make it that because they're, you know, they're trying to get some notice for themselves. They're trying to win the next election. And as you know, of course, the Obama years were devastating to the Democratic Party in terms of state houses and governors. So uh, they've got to try to come back. Um, a good thing, I think a good thing for you all to be watching and for your, for your listeners to wa- be watching, Roy, is the upcoming Gorsuch vote in the Senate because he will be confirmed. And it'll be interesting to see how the media plays that. That's going to be a Trump win. He's going to have the new latest member of the uh, Supreme Court, although the, Demo- the Republicans may have to go to the so-called nuclear option to get it. Uh, but let's see how the media plays that one. Will they play it as a Trump victory or a Republican uh, dictatorship, if you will? When will the 62-plus million Americans who voted for Donald Trump finally say, wait a minute, they're not just attacking the president, they're attacking me for voting for him? Well, you know, I think, Roy, I think they, they do that with the vote. Uh, face it, the other side is very violent. You never see a story about Trump supporters beating up a Hillary Clinton voter or anything like that. So I think a lot of people definitely, and that's the reason they have these tactics, a lot of people are intimidated. They don't want to open their mouths. You and I talked about how people didn't want to put Trump bumper stickers on their car. Uh, I think there's no doubt that people are not are being encouraged not to speak up for fear of some kind of violence. Well, there have been some, were some incidents during some of the rallies during the primaries where Trump supporters took a swing at, at other people who were in the, uh, in the stands, but primarily the, big, the biggest, the, sort of the worst incidents that I've seen portrayed have been for, against Trump supporters. Now, one quick question, final question for your friend. When Donald Trump talks about, well, if I can't work with the Republicans, I guess I'll just have to work with the Democrats, words to that effect. Is he hurting his own message? Is he hurting his, his own presence by doing that? Well, I think he ran as a third-party candidate, really, Roy. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think the Democrats will work with him. I mean, there may be a couple who are up for election in a couple of years. But the, the vast majority of Democrats aren't going to work with him. The vast majority of Republicans are going to work with him. Right. Uh, I just think that we've never seen opposition like this so nasty and so open okay. before. Uh, and Trump is probably the one guy who's strong enough to take it. 
Fran, thank you for the time. We'll let you get back out in the sunshine. Okay, thank you, Roy. I appreciate the, best. the call. Thank you, Fran. Fran Coombs, managing editor of Rasmussen Polling. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. You know, uh, Lenore Skenazy has been a guest on this program many times over the last 10 years or so. She was dubbed America's worst mother because she allowed her son to ride unaccompanied on the New York subway. Nothing happened. Everything worked out well. He was 10 years old. Mom had properly prepared him. But she was still dubbed America's worst mother, and to many people, well, that's the title that stuck. She has a a blog called Free Range Kids, and we normally talk to uh, Lenore about issues she has encountered. I was on her blog the other day, and I I saw a, um, a story from another blogger, and it had to do, as I've been telling you, with a mom who was at a restaurant um, at a mall and was sitting beside another mother with kids. And that's what happened uh, afterward that, uh, that got our attention. And the headline of the, uh, of the blog piece is, Sometimes you just want to punch a judgmental stranger in the face by Nicole Roder, R-O-D-E-R. And uh, her blog and her site is NicoleRoder.com, NicoleRoder.com, N-I-C-O-L-E. You sound like such a nice person. I don't think you're really talking about punching somebody in the face, are you, Nicole? <laughs> well, honestly, I wouldn't actually punch anyone in the face. <laughs> it's just kind of the feeling of, uh, you know, being so upset and angry and then just offended that... Um, I didn't really know what to say, honestly. Well, tell us what happened. Uh, I just set the scene. You're you're right that you were in a uh, in a Target in a little cafe area cafe area at a Target uh-huh. store with your family, right. and uh-huh. uh, your husband was waiting in line at Starbucks, and you have four kids with you. Right. Uh, bit of a challenge for any one parent with the other parent off somewhere. Uh, uh-huh. So what happens? What's the what happened here? What's what's the dynamic that took place? Well, um, we we actually do this every Sunday. We go to Target right after church, and if the kids have been, and I do my grocery shopping, and if the kids were good at church, then they get a treat from the Starbucks. So we were sitting there in Starbucks. My husband was in line. I was working on my grocery list, and there was this mom with two little boys sitting at the table next to us. Um, and at one point I looked up and I caught her eye and I smiled, but she didn't smile back. She was making a this kind of terrified look with, on her face, like, you know, oh, something crazy is happening to me. And um, I was just like, okay. So I, I went back to my grocery list. My kids were really honestly being pretty calm and quiet, which I will be the first to admit is not um, the way it always is for grocery shopping. I doubt you're the only parent who would say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anybody who's been grocery shopping with kids knows it can be a challenge. Um, but they were being pretty quiet. They were eating, and um, my son, my five-year-old son, was climbing on a stool behind me. Um, and uh, so after I'd gone back to my grocery list and hadn't looked at that woman for a couple of minutes... She called me to get my attention and said, excuse me, are you with him? And looked over at my son. And I said, yes. And she said, what he's doing is dangerous. You need to make him stop. And I looked over again thinking, like, you know, 
what has he gotten a hold of a blowtorch or something? <laughs> <laughs> but no, he was still just climbing on the stool. Uh, so I looked at her and I said, he's fine. And he said, well, you know, I'm very uncomfortable with my children witnessing this. Oh, come influencing. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? I, I, I just kind of looked at her quizzically like, are you serious? And she just kept on staring at me. Her eyes were bugged wide open like, <laughs> like she couldn't believe that everybody in the world wasn't insisting that this was the most dangerous spectacle they'd ever witnessed. And I said, um, I, it's, you know, thanks for letting me know, but he's fine. Um, and she said, you know, you're putting the staff in danger, too. I bet they wouldn't like that. I could call somebody over. And <laughs> that's when I laughed because they, they really love me at Target. I'm practically their customer of the year. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I shop there so often, and, and I'm a pretty friendly customer. So a lot of them know my name, and they're real nice to me, and I'm real nice to them. So, you know, that wasn't going to work out well for her. But um, I so I just said to her, you know what? Why don't you raise your kids and I'll raise mine? Um, I just think, you know, there are so many people these days who look at parents that they meet out in public at a store or a park or restaurant or whatever and have such strong opinions about what we are doing with our children and feel the need for some reason to... um, tell us that we're doing it all wrong. And she did, in fact, go and complain to somebody, did she not? Oh, yeah, she did. When, um, when after our conversation ended, she walked up to the Starbucks counter and complained about me. And now, since, like I said, the employees at this Target all love me so much, they knew, you know, who I was and who she was talking about. And they, one of them, uh, the, the woman she complained to came up to me afterwards and she was like, Oh my goodness, that lady, she was so crazy. I just wanted to hide in the back until she was gone. <laughs> Do you know who I feel really sorry for her? Her kids. Mm-hmm. Sounds like yeah. they have a fun life. Mm-hmm. If, if all your I son, mean, all your son is doing is climbing on a stool and that can, for, that for a little boy can be an exciting adventure that can go on for a whole afternoon. Um, and if I remember my childhood maybe. reasonably well, and, uh-huh. and she just, she, this was just building up and building up and building up in her. And uh-huh. then she eventually couldn't hold it in anymore. And she took you to task and she went and complained right. about you. So, 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 I mean, what do you say? You, you weren't very happy from what I gather from your, from your blog post. You weren't, you didn't feel your response was strong enough. No, I, I, you know how you always, you, if you get into any kind of argument or confrontation, there's always like a million better things. Oh sure, you can think to oh, sure. after it's over. I should know? have said. I should have said. We've all played that game. I yes. should have said this. I, and sometimes we actually prepare for a moment. If you know that something, and sometimes when uh, I talk to friends of mine who talk do talk radio, they're going to take one on an issue, and they know somebody's going to say a certain thing. Somewhere along uh-huh. the line, a caller is going to say a certain thing, and so you prepare uh-huh. a line. I'm giving away a trade secret. So you prepare a line before the show, and then you let them have it. Right. <laughs> well, what I, what I decided that I should have said in this situation was, oh, don't worry. He has to do 10 more of those to earn his beer and cigarettes. Later, uh-huh. I'm going to make him run with scissors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what's, the response, what's the response been from your readers? Oh, I've gotten lots of positive comments, people telling me stories about times that they've um, that they've 
been judged by other parents in public or, or just other people in public. There was one uh, reader who told me that um, she was at a playground with her friend and they both had their kids and her one of her children put rocks in her mouth and the friend was, you know, very, like, rocks are dirty. And she's like, all right. <laughs> um, and, and another reader who told me that her son was climbing a tree in her front yard and um, a woman walking by actually came up and knocked on her door to tell her that she shouldn't let her, her son climb the tree. <laughs> that's, what tr- that's why trees are there. That's the only reason for the existence of trees, so little boys can cry, <laughs> climb them, and little girls too. Let me just read to my listeners a little bit of an email that you sent me. Uh, I didn't ask you to, sure. to, to grab it, so I'm, I've got it in front of me. I asked you to give me some, inf- or at least some examples of what of what cause may cause this. And, and you wrote, we have here in Maryland a law that makes it a crime to leave any child under the age of eight alone in a house, a car, or any enclosure for any length of time unless the enclosure is within direct eyesight. So let's say I went grocery shopping and brought my kids and the groceries out to the car, buckled the kids in, put the groceries in the trunk, then took the shopping cart back, I'd be breaking the law, right? Because you're taking the shopping cart back. And then you, 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 you write, or if I were cooking dinner and realized I was out of olive oil and ran to the neighbor's house to borrow some, I'd be breaking the law. Open the front door and my dog runs off, so I have to chase her down the street. If I run after the dog without bringing my kids with me, I'm breaking mm-hmm. the law. Pick up my kids and from the bus stop without waking the sleeping baby, also against the law. Mm-hmm. Great. What yep. are you supposed to do? Yes. I, I guess they expect me to wake my sleeping baby. I guess. <laughs> Um, I And the ironic thing is, um, now I have four kids, three of them are in school, um, and uh, the oldest is nine, and then she has a sister who's about to turn eight, and I have a five-year-old. Um, now, I will let my five-year-old walk home from the bus stop with his sisters, uh, as long as his sisters are there, um, but if the, his sisters aren't there, then I don't exactly trust him to cross the street by himself so i go out there but the law says that it's okay for me to let him walk home without me and not go to the bus stop to meet him it's just not okay for me to leave the house and leave my baby sleeping um so you know it it in my opinion and in the opinion of a lot of people i think yet the parent is the one who is the most equipped to judge what is the safest and the best for their own kids. Right. Some other five-year-olds might um, be better at crossing the street than mine, and there's nothing wrong with just letting them walk home by themselves. Um, and Or I might think it's better for me to be out there at the bus stop and my baby, if he's sleeping in his crib that he can't get out of, Nothing, no harm is going to come to him. The scary thing, the scary thing is, is the woman at the mall who was there with you. She's the one who's writing the laws, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's the one who's going to get engaged, get involved, and go to the town hall meetings or the city meetings, city council meetings, and she's going to press mm-hmm. for bylaws. She's going to push and push and push. She'll get a half a dozen people to go along with her and provide a consensus, and then before you know it, Nicole, you've got another regulation to live by. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So, so in, in about 20 seconds, what do you want to say to these people directly? That, you know, we, we know we have people listening now who cannot keep their opinions to themselves about how parents should parent. What do you want to say to them? Just 
think about how you um, think about what the world would be like if every decision that we made had to be regulated by everybody else, depending on what everyone's comfortable with. Do you really want to live in a world like that? No, I don't. I don't. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate the time. Thank you. com is where you'll find the website, or at least the uh, the blog for Nicole, Nicole Roder, R-O-D-E-R, N-I-C-O-L-E-R-O-D-E-R. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Last Sunday, we spoke with Rachel, an Alberta mother who refuses to vaccinate her child, and she just talked about her personal situation and the decisions that she's made. And she made the decision in uh, in conjunction with her family doctor that her child was not going to be vaccinated. And Rachel talked about being able to safeguard her child and other children by just properly monitoring her child. Now, she doesn't speak for any association. She doesn't speak for any political party. She doesn't speak for any group. She just spoke about herself. So I don't want to get her involved in our conversation and what we're going to talk to the... Alberta Senior Officer of Health about that's not fair. If she represented a political party, that'd be a different story. However, there is news, and I've done a fair bit of reading over the last several days, there is news about increasing numbers of parents deciding not to vaccinate their children. And a story that I saw come out of Europe where there's a measles outbreak, the medical authorities believe that this measles issue is at least partly fueled by the fact that increasing numbers of parents are not vaccinating their kids. So what's the, what's the story about vaccinations from the positive perspective that medical officers of health take? And Dr. Jerry Pretty is the Alberta Senior Officer of Health. He joins us on The Roy Green Show. Dr. Pretty, thank you for taking the time. Good afternoon, Roy. What are the fundamentals people should know about childhood vaccines? What is the most single most important thing people need to know? And what's the single greatest fallacy you come up against? Well, I think you know, the single most important thing people need to know is that vaccines are one of the most important ways to keep your kids healthy and for them to stay as safe as possible. Uh, as far as the myths go, I think there, there are a lot of myths. There's a lot of information out there that's inaccurate, but I think the biggest one over the last few years has been the real fact that uh, the myth that uh, vaccines can con- cause autism. And a lot of this was driven by some celebrity declarations but of course the study that showed that was proven to be false and the the individual who did the study has been sanctioned so but that's still out there in some parents minds you know i spoke with andrew wakefield a number of years ago is the is, is he a doctor or a former doctor now well i don't know if he's you know i i i think he's still around but I, i'm not sure what his that okay is. i spoke with him a couple of years ago and it's surprising uh, to to many but he still has a significant numbers of followers. Other people are saying that he's the one who actually told the truth. So what do you say to the parent who is, what's the argument that you make to the parent who is concerned about a supposed link between vaccines and autism? What's the strongest argument to, to take those people away from that course and move them toward the course of, of vaccination? Well, I, I think, you know, there's, there's so much information out there about it, uh, and I think at times it's it's overwhelming and confusing and even, you know, of course, fearful for parents. So I think it's important for parents to try and, and get the information from an accurate source. And there's a variety of websites that provide accurate information. We have one in Alberta called immunizationalberta.ca or immunizealberta.ca, and there's others. Uh, so I think it's important for parents to try and get the information from a trusted source. Uh, 
you know, they can check with their own doctor or public health nurse uh, and just try to get the information that uh, that they need. Because it, it is understandable that, uh, of course, they're concerned about their child's health and want their child to do all the best for their kids. So. Of course. Uh, Bill 28 uh, was a concern to not only my guest, but to others who emailed later on and uh, and weren't sure what it meant or felt that Bill 28 was forcing them to do things that they didn't want to do. Can you talk to us about Bill 28, what it requires, and then maybe if you have a sense of whether or not similar legislation exists in other provinces across Canada? Yeah, well, what the legislation says is that if parents, uh, you know, choose not to have their child vaccinated, then, then they declare that when they register their children in school. So that we have a record knowing which children are vaccinated and which children are not when we get an outbreak or a case of of a disease like measles. Because under the Public Health Act, if we have measles in a school, we have to exclude all the children who aren't vaccinated from school uh, for the period of of the outbreak. So so it's just a way of making it easier for us to to take the action we need to take when there is an outbreak or a case of measles. uh, makes it easier on the parents as well because then they don't have to, you know, they've declared that and, and everybody knows uh, where the children stand and we don't have to track down their records and, and come after them to do that. So, uh, You have an issue with mumps in Alberta, particularly Edmonton now, right? Yes, we do. We have an outbreak now. Um, talk to us about that, please. And do, can these outbreaks, and I'm looking at the situation in Europe as well with the measles, if uh, if parents, if all parents were to vaccinate, would it be far less likely that you'd be having that mumps outbreak in Edmonton or they'd be having the measles outbreak in Europe? Absolutely. I think if we had uh, what we, you know, a 95% immunization rate uh, for MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, then we would be not seeing what we're seeing now. But because those diseases are so contagious that... uh, even if the majority of parents vaccinate, and our vaccination rates uh, are are not where they should be, they're not at 95 percent. They're they're still at, you know high, but not high enough to prevent these outbreaks. So, so I think parents again need to understand that when they they decide on on vaccinating their child, they're not only deciding on protecting their own child, but they're also de- deciding on protecting all the other children that that they, their kids have contact with. So, so that's that's part of the the vaccination story. It. it it does protect the population, and because there's a small number of children who can't be vaccinated for various reasons, that uh, you know it, they can be protected as well, provided we get uh, high enough rates amongst uh, amongst all of the kids. Doctor Pratty, uh, let's look at numbers. Are there many numbers that suggest how many parents have decided not to vaccinate? In 2000, and well, maybe 16 or 15 would be the, the most recent numbers that might be available. But uh, are there is there a significant downturn, a percentage-wise downturn that is easily recognizable of parents who've decided not to vaccinate? Is that number really dropping? Uh, well, a number, I think the vaccination rates have dropped somewhat in recent years. Now, there are a variety of reasons for why uh, that has occurred. Some right. of it is... Uh, because some parents have decided to actively not to vaccinate their kids. Others uh, perhaps uh, have just been too busy. Uh, they've, they've forgotten about it. Some of the, they've moved. So th- there's a variety of reasons. But what we're saying is there are a lot of parents who sort of are not really decided, and they're, they're what we call hesitant about getting vaccinated. Right. And so for those parents, uh, I think, again, uh, 
they have to get get all the information they can and talk talk to their you know doctor their their public health nurse and try and, and understand that if they have concerns uh, try to get answers to the concerns they have but but there's a small number of people that uh, just refuse to be vaccinated but it's not a huge number so I, I think our you know we're optimistic that if we can continue to provide people with the right kind of information uh, and, and give parents uh, what they need uh, that uh, parents will respond and our vaccination rates will go up. If you were to look at family doctors across the province and you were to ask a, ask a sample of family physicians across the province of Alberta, whether they are fully supportive of the idea of childhood vaccinations, would you get a, an almost unanimous sign-on or is there some debate about it within the medical community? No, I, I would say it's, it's pretty close to unanimous. I mean, uh, there are probably a few who, who would say they, they aren't supportive, but I would say the vast, vast majority of them are. Is there a, is there a long-term potential impact for those who are not vaccinated? Well, I think it, it's not only a long-term, it's actually short-term. As you, as you noted, we have outbreaks of mumps and measles now, and uh, so, so it, 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 you know, and nobody can predict when these outbreaks are going to occur. So, yeah. so if, if, you, if you're not fully vaccinated, you, you could you know, be exposed at any time. But of course, over the time of lifetime, uh, if you're not protected, uh, you you continue to run that risk over, over your lifetime. And in today's world, where people travel a lot, uh, they go on vacation, they travel for work, they go back to their country of origin. You know, what happens in another part of the world can't come here very quickly. So, so people need to realize that we live in this uh, global environment now, where what happens in another part of the world can can affect us very quickly. Well, we saw that with uh, with the Ebola virus threat, and there was great concern globally, and and it did, even though there was a tremendous effort put forward to limit it. There were there were cases where it appeared in different parts of the world. You're listening to the Roy Green Show weekends from two to five on AM 900 CHML. My guest is Dr. Jerry Pretty from the province of Alberta, the uh, medical officer for the uh, for the province and uh, senior officer of health. And we're talking about vaccines and uh, vaccination for kids. It's, it's, we're also talking about adults or is it children primarily, Dr. Pretty? Well, I, I think we're talking primarily about children, but right. uh, ad, there are you know, immunizations that adults should get. Uh, for example, influenza is something that they should, should be getting as well. But, yeah. but I think, you know, particularly concerned about kids because uh, they're more, probably very susceptible to a lot of uh, a lot of the diseases. However, as we're seeing with uh, you know the mumps outbreak, uh, if you're not adequately protected as a child, then as an adult, you, you can be you know, are susceptible to getting these diseases. So. Just looking at uh, strongalberta.ca, and I can't tell exactly what year this was issued, but it it sets halfway through a 10-year project to bolster vaccine rates, and you started that in 2007. Is that correct? Yeah, well, yeah, about there, yeah. Yeah. It says the number of Albertans adequately immunized remains below provincial targets. For example, only 30% of children under the age of two get influenza shots, well below the goal of 75%, according to the most recent figures. So it's it's younger parents, if I am interpreting this correctly, it's younger parents, maybe, who... Uh, who are expressing some doubt about the vera- or the the, uh, the usefulness of of, uh, of vaccines. Yeah, I, I think that that's part of the paradox here is that immunization has been so successful that some of the diseases uh, uh, 
that were common when I was a kid, uh, pa- the parents of today have not seen. Right. Now, with influenza, that's a good point. Be, because influenza is uh, is something that uh, you know is around every year. But I think traditionally, uh, people haven't thought of influenza as being a serious illness for kids. They they know that older older people can get seriously ill with influenza, but but young children have the same uh, risk of getting serious illness from influenza as older people do. And a lot of uh, people don't realize that. So, so influenza is a, a little bit different uh, than some of the other vaccines. So it's not just magic that made mumps and measles disappear from, from public view for many years. It's the, it was the enthusiastic uh, acceptance of the vaccination programs. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think uh, we're saying now that... Uh, they're coming, you know, measles and mumps are coming back because our rates aren't where they should be. Uh, an email from a listener, dear Mr. Green, thank you for having Rachel on the air to open the discussion around the discrimination against families who, for one reason or another, have chosen not to vaccinate. It's my experience that uh, this discrimination is a reaction based on fear and is often remedied by research into the topic of vaccine safety. Uh, I see that uh, that kind of comment reasonably frequently if I... Uh, if I talk about vaccines. So if we bring it back to vaccine safety, please explain uh, to us again what the safety levels of vaccine are. What are they? I mean, how much of a concern should there be? And then what what conditions, what illnesses? Uh, you know, we talk about mumps and measles. What are some of the other conditions and, 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 and illnesses that have essentially disappeared from the public radar have disappeared because of vaccines? Well, I, I think on the question of... Uh studies of safety. I mean, vaccines go through a lot of uh, stages in their development, and they go through a far more rigorous process than most uh, medications, for example, because uh, we are giving these products to, to healthy people, by and large. So so the whole vaccine development process takes a long time, and there's a lot of, before a vaccine even gets licensed, there's a lot of study. It goes through uh, you know, it goes through animal tests and small tests in humans and larger tests. Uh, and, and even once a vaccine is licensed, there is a there is a monitoring process across the country to ensure that if there are any adverse effects occurring, that those are identified and reported. So, so there's a whole process there. You know, some of the, the concerns that parents have around some of the perhaps additives or preservatives or things in vaccines, but those things have all been studied fairly, you know, quite closely in a variety of studies. And, uh, you know, they, there's there's no health risk from any of those things in vaccines. So so I think, you know, parents just need to try and if they, if they have concerns about those specific things, try and find the information that's out there that's, that's accurate because there's a lot of inaccurate information as well. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, with respect to the uh, issue of, uh, you know, parents being, uh, I guess, discriminated against if they don't vaccinate their kids. I don't think that's what we do, but parents need to understand that uh, when you vaccinate your child, you're vaccinating your child, but you're also vaccinating your child to protect him or her, but also others. So in an environment like a school, if you have kids who are susceptible to various diseases and there's an outbreak, we, we have to get them out of the school so we can stop the outbreak so it doesn't spread to others. So so it, we have a duty not only to, to look at each child individually, but in public health, we have to look at, at the population and do what's best for the population. And sometimes that means that uh, people who aren't vaccinated have to, you know, for example, be excluded from school. 
Yeah. Um, can you give us quickly, uh, what's the most important thing that you wanted to say on this program today? I want to make sure that we get the most significant and most salient point you wanted to make on the air. Well, I, I think what I wanted to say is that immunize, immunization is safe, vaccination is safe. And, you know, we want to, all kids to be as healthy and safe as possible, and that means that uh, they should all be vaccinated. Well, uh, now it's a question of, uh, of parents doing what, what it is that you're suggesting. And um, if you look around Edmonton now with the outbreak of the, uh, of the mumps, uh, your argument is that if all, if 95% of the kids have been vaccinated, the mumps probably wouldn't be an issue in Edmonton today. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 95% of the kids who are now adults because some of the cases we're seeing are adults who are not fully yeah. immunized. But yes, that's right. And, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, I think in Romania, since over the last past year, they've had about 17 deaths due to measles. So it's, you know, these diseases are not trivial diseases. They're serious diseases. Dr. Preddy, thank you very much for the time. Good talking to you. You're welcome, Ryan. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.